You are listening to the OneOfUs.net Podcast Network. OneOfUs.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber-supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to OneOfUs.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. And we're back! It's Eye on the Prize once again here with Justin Zarian and much a much smaller group than usual because <laughs> everyone's busy with Christmas and everything else. But hey, Nathan's here. That I am. Uh, yes, indeed. Me and my charming personality, I guess. <laughs> no, but it's been a while. How have you, how have you been doing, man? I'm good. I, uh, I have a friend from Wisconsin who uh, is just coming to visit. I, I'm uh, working on Christmas and every other day, so it's kind of nice that we got uh, got some time to spend, you know, having an actual vacation. Yeah. No, not Oh, even. and also I'm seeing uh, Star Wars tonight, so we'll oh, see boy. how that bomb explodes. Oh, boy. That's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know when I'll see that. I'm sure I will see it at some point, but I'm just like, yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there kind of thing. Um, I'm sure JJ is going to wrap up all the character arcs, even for the characters that really don't have much of character. You mean most of the cast? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, at this point, I'm just kind of like, you know, look, fine, whatever, you know, <laughs> with all that stuff, so... <laughs> But yeah, uh, I've been doing fine too. I mean, I've been trying to catch up on a bunch of indie movies. Uh, I saw Honey Boy today, which we talked a bit off mic, but I thoroughly enjoyed that one quite a bit. I can't wait to see it. There's no place really showing it near Austin at all. I mean, it'll pop up at like small theaters, but it'll always be something downtown and it's like, uh, I can't even plan it out. Yeah, I'm in Idaho right now for the holidays, and uh, today was like literally the last day to catch it in local theaters because it's getting pushed out from the new releases. So uh, that's a bummer. Yeah, and also, um, unfortunately, I won't be able to see Waves because that one's also getting pushed out in some indie theaters, unless it sticks around in the other local uh, theater in Boise. So crossing fingers, seeing if that'll indoor. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so I've been seeing that. Uh, catching up with the Netflix stuff. I mean, we talked a bit about Marriage Story, I think, previously, but I mean. It's great. What else can I say? Still have not seen it. I need to see it. Yeah. No, I'm surprised though. I'm meeting more people who are like, I, I respect the people who say these things. They're still wrong, but they're like, yeah, it was okay. You know, kind of thing. I'm just like, okay, just okay. <laughs> uh, Unfortunately, one of those is my best friend too. So I'm just like, all right, well, okay, that's a, that's his opinion. <laughs> it's almost worse than somebody just straight up hating it. Oh yeah, where you're like. Yeah, I see why people like it. I just don't like it that much. I'm like, but but why? <laughs> why don't you like it so much? <laughs> ah, well. Yeah, no, at least it inspires discussion if somebody fucking hates it. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, But yeah, we've been trying to catch up on a bunch of stuff. I mean, I can't wait to catch some of these other movies. Like, uh, I think we're going to see Richard Jewell next week. Which, I know, everyone's got the big controversy around it, but I just want to see it for myself, you know? Uh, I'm so hit or miss on Eastwood movies. I could see it. With my Alamo pass, but I don't know. Fair enough. Um, and then what? I think The Two Popes actually comes out tomorrow, so I'm definitely going to watch that. Isn't that being released on Netflix? Yes. So um, it's coming out. I think it already came out in theaters, and then through Netflix is going to cut release, kind of like Marriage Story did. So Gotcha. gotcha. Which I've heard of the movie is great, so I can't wait. And then uh, also, my, my weekend's going to be busy because we're going to plan for reviewing The Witcher this weekend. So 
I am not on that review, but I, I am uh, optimistic to uh, see whether or not it is better than Game of Thrones, like the people who made the show <laughs> claim it is. Well, the people who made the show and that one dude on Twitter who made that post. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I, I believe you are also reviewing another TV show coming up too, right? I'm reviewing a couple. I got Runaways coming up that I'm trying to power through, uh, and you... Season two, Me. and then <laughs> my most anticipated uh, Fast and Furious Spy Racers. <laughs> I don't know why you signed up for that, seriously. But hey. I am pumped. It's going to be <laughs> awful. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I, I actually have the art already for that one, too, when you guys review it. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and then, oh, oh, yeah, by the way, people, keep an eye out. Uh, the Screener Squad will review The Mandalorian this year, so... I will not be on that one, and I actually just caught up on The Mandalorian, and it fucking rocks. I you know, enjoy I, I've it. I've heard this week's episode's really good. I haven't seen it yet, so. It, it's very good. I uh, It actually seems like it's trying to string together a plot as opposed to being more uh, episodic. Well, that's the thing. Is like, I feel like the show is caught between what direction it wants to go with its storytelling, because like, I don't mind episodic stuff. I mean, freaking Firefly was episodic when it came out. Yeah. But that's the problem. I, like, okay. Oh, I'm just saying, I'd agree with uh, what you're saying right now, but this last episode seemed like they were at least trying to string something together. Well, that's good, because that was the problem, is that those kind of those middle episodes, like four and five, and then that first episode were all the weakest ones of the season, but then all the other ones have been good to great. So it's like, I, I know you've heard me back and forth, where I'm like, eh, don't bother, or, oh, this one's better, or, eh. I, I'm such in a love-hate relationship with the show, so I just, I want it to end on a high note, at least, you know? Well, I'm sure it's going to get, like, 800 seasons, no matter how you feel about it. Oh, no. I mean, I, I I still want to see more. I just, I feel like this show is still finding its voice. But hopefully by the next season it does find it, you know, kind of thing. I still think, despite it finding its voice still, I think it is probably the best Star Wars thing to come out since Return of the Jedi. You know, you say that, but I actually, um, I mean, at least this year, uh, that one came out. And then actually I've been trying out the new video game, uh, The Fallen Jedi, uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Oh, I just mean theatrical. Oh, well, I'm just saying for Star Wars stuff in general. I got you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but for Star Wars stuff, like that's good, and I actually really like the video game so far. Like it's, it's different. It's got you know, it's pretty much just Dark Souls, but with Star Wars on it, kind of thing, and it's still good. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's Star Wars, whatever. But anyways, uh, enough of that kind of stuff. Let's talk about award season stuff, and I'm sure everyone will tune out after that point. But <laughs> well. It, if you did, why did you start listening to this podcast? <laughs> um, anyway, we have some catch-up to do because a lot happened in the matter of the week or two that was since we last recorded. And uh, the first big one that we literally were like a day or two ahead of when we, reviewed, we did the last recording was the Screen Actors Guild nominations. Now, I don't put a lot of stock in the Screen Actors Guild because it is nominated by the actors. And sometimes they make some pretty cool choices and other times I'm like, hmm, <laughs> you know. I'm always a bigger fan of the WGA, for sure. Oh, the WGA has a lot more uh, crossover with uh, uh, the actual nominees at the Oscars kind of thing. I mean, but to be fair, the SAGs can predict a lot of stuff that'll make it for the final list uh, for Oscar contenders. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how many of these people get nominated. So why don't we start off with, let's see. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out, I believe they had a category here for Best Stunt Ensemble. Yeah, here we go, for a motion picture. And... Just to give credit where it's due, it's a pretty good stunt ensemble. It's uh, Avengers Endgame, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Joker, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ah, 
that's a that's a tough one mainly because a lot of these movies rely on either a lot of cgi eh, to some extent well okay here's the thing that's funny about that so like a few of these i wouldn't suspect have a lot of stunts in them like the irishman or joker where it's like yeah there are stunts nothing i would say is like super elaborate or anything like that um ford v ferrari makes sense because all the stunt racing and all the various stuff there uh avengers yeah there's tons of actors in that still who are doing stunt work now what's interesting though is that once upon a time in hollywood has a lot of practical stunt work in the few like major sequences and i saw a news story this week about that where apparently that flamethrower that leo dicaprio was using is a real flamethrower that they set extras on fire with holy shit yeah, so no, they actually torched real actors in, like, stunt suits and, like, you know, uh, uh, fire gel or whatever, and that's an actual flamethrower they're using against them. So it's like, okay, that's, I can see why I was nominated for that. That they apparently, is absolutely insane. Oh, yeah, but apparently they got, like, the best stuntmen in Hollywood to work on that thing, so they make sure nobody got, got injured or died during it. I would probably put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the front runner then. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much practical work was done during Ford v. Ferrari, but I know Irishman, Joker, and Avengers Endgame are kind of, you know, well, I mean, jo- on that. Joker, it's one of the things where it's like, there is mild stunt work in Joker, but not much. I mean, what, like, Joaquin Phoenix gets hit by a car at one scene, uh, there's a, you know, extras, you know, bouncing around, beating up each other in a couple background sequences, but there's not a lot of big, like, action-y moments. Like, what, or Joaquin killing that one dude with the, with the scissors, it's like that's about it yeah i mean i think the only real uh competitor against once upon a time in hollywood would probably be ford v ferrari jokers yeah. were kind of more you know typical stuff that you'd almost do in an indie film yeah i agree so uh why don't we move on then to the major film acting categories so for best female actor in a supporting role we have laura dern in marriage story scarlett johansson and jojo rabbit nicole kimmon in bombshell Jennifer Lopez in Hustlers, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Now, this is interesting because it's mostly what I think could make it to the Oscars. I'm not sure if both Bombshell actresses will make it into the final cut. I'm excited that Scarlett Johansson is getting some recognition for JoJo oh, she Rabbit. She was great in JoJo Rabbit. Like, for, she's only oh, in it yeah. so much, but she dominates anytime she's on screen. Would you say she was better in JoJo Rabbit or Marriage Story? Oh, Marriage Story, by far. But okay. jo- JoJo I was impressive because... JoJo is my favorite performance by her, so I'm really excited to see Marriage Story. Okay, well, because Marriage Story gives her a lot more to do. Because, you know, she, in Marriage Story, she's the, the lead actress next to Adam Driver in it. But in this one, she made the most with her limited screen time where she's just, you know, got major sequences that she dominates the screen with in JoJo. So, um, now saying that, though, Laura Dern in Marriage Story was also really, really good in that movie. Like, she is, in the way that Ray Liotta is very much the masochist, you know, masculine, very, like, dominating type of evil scumbag lawyer, she's the other type where she's the smiling, seductive, but secretly cruel kind of lawyer kind of thing. Uh, I know you haven't seen, uh, I mean, obviously Bombshell or Hustlers, but from what you've seen, does Laura Dern seem like she's the front runner? Because she's the one I see on everybody's list. Yes, I think so, personally. Because, I mean, and the thing, again, like, she only has so much screen time in the movie, but she makes the most of it anytime she's on screen. Like, she, she's exactly what you think of when you think of strong, dominant, but kind of scummy female lawyers, kind of thing like that. And it's like, yeah, you only don't dislike her because you also got another person who's a scummy male lawyer next to her, too. And also, they kind of paint the picture that lawyers are the evil people no matter what in the situation. But she's great. And then um, Hustlers, I know Jennifer Lopez, 
I don't think anyone says she's going to win, but everyone seems to agree that she's going to make it on the list no matter what. For, she's for... magnetic in that movie, in a weird way. Which like... is funny, because I don't feel like the trailers really highlighted that very well, and I haven't seen the movie yet, to be fair. But that's what The trailers said. don't highlight the movie very well, just in general. Yeah, because uh, I actually didn't want to see the movie, but then everyone came out going, oh, no, 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 it's actually way better than you think. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I, I think it's among one of the best movies released this year. Okay. It's weirdly original in the way how it handles its heist movie structure i guess the only movie i could compare it to is a way lesser movie but still i consider it to be a pretty good movie uh pain and gain oh, okay okay but like not it's not so michael bay in comparison <laughs> well yeah and, and the characters feel more remorse for what they're doing fair enough fair enough um, but yeah, then the two Bombshell no nominees, I personally think that Margot Robbie's going to get in, and I don't know about Nicole Kidman, but possible. Yeah. I mean, that movie just looks like it has best actress in a leading role, best actress in a supporting role, and best makeup just sort of locked in. I don't know about lead actress, but definitely makeup in a supporting actress role, because we'll get to that in just a second. Um, okay. But then for uh, supporting actor in a, in a role... We have Jamie Foxx and Jess Mercy, which totally came out of nowhere for everybody. Like, wait, he was nominated? But yeah, he's really I have good. not heard anything really about that movie whatsoever besides the trailers that I've watched for Breakfast Pub. All I've heard from the people who reviewed it, they're just like, it's fine. You know? Like, like nobody seemed to be, like, high or low about it. They're just like, it's a fine movie overall. But yeah, no, uh, Jamie Foxx apparently is getting some uh, Oscar push with this stuff. Uh, Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which, yes... <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I really want to see it, but they moved it from uh, my nearby Alamo Draft House. It's a very it's like... good movie, not a great movie. And the thing is, Tom Hanks still is Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers, but he does such a great job doing his best, you know? Because the problem is he can't shake that accent of his, or the, the, the tone of voice that Tom Hanks has, because he sounds like Tom Hanks doing Mr. That's Rogers. That's fair. Yeah, but he still... He really hardly good. ever transforms in movies. I mean, outside of Forrest Gump and maybe a few others... Yeah, but but it's still very good. Like he he definitely dominates the screen anytime he's on it. So oh, he's uh, always fantastic. Then you got Al Pacino and Joe Pesci for The Irishman, which I think they're locked to be nominated at least for sure. Oh, definitely. For a while, I thought it, they'd pick one or the other, but it seems like everybody is nominating either Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, or the last person you're going to bring up. Yep, because the last person is Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I think he might win, like for the Oscar. He. I would argue is probably the best character I've seen in a movie this year. Well, he's easily the best character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, I mean, Leo DiCaprio is great in that movie too, but Brad Pitt really dominates because he's such a, he's so unique in the way that he plays that character. Yeah, he's so low-key. It, it's easily one of his best performances in years. I'd actually put that in Ad Astra as like his, the best he's been in probably, oh, maybe a decade, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, just something about it, that that role really clicked with him. Uh, yeah. And then also we got lead actress in a role. So we got Cynthia Revo and Harriet, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, which is a huge boost for her Oscar chances, you know? Yeah, no, she definitely is still stuck out as one of the best female performances of the year. I haven't seen Judy, Harriet, Marriage Story, or Bombshell yet, sadly. I'm slacking. <laughs> But yeah. she was fantastic. Oh, she's great in us. But yeah, then the last two there, like you mentioned, uh, Charlize Theron in Bombshell and Renee Zellweger in Judy. Which, but yeah, I think that's the thing that they're really trying to push for diversity because people have made a big stink about, you know, the lack of 
people of color in these nomination categories. And to be fair, though, I think Lupita Nyong'o totally deserves it. Cynthia Erivo, from what I hear, she's the best part of what's generally considered to be kind of an underwhelming movie, but... I'm still excited to see it. I had a catch-22 on that. I love Cynthia Erivo, and I really love the director of Harriet, uh, Casey Lemons. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, good stuff there. Uh, But from looking at this list and looking at what I've seen of all the performances, uh, it looks like Lupita may actually have a big chance of winning. Um, it's either going to be Lupita, possibly, but I think it's actually more likely going to be Scarlett Johansson or Renee Zellweger. Um, but yeah, I was think I think that Renee Zellweger is definitely a lock for nomination because she's the only thing people liked about Judy, from what it sounds like. Um, and then Scarlett Johansson, I mean, is really riding off the coattails of this and JoJo at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, it would be a shame if she wasn't nominated for both, and I doubt she won't be nominated for both. Yeah, no, I think there's a very strong chance for both. Um, but then lead actor we got here is uh, Christian Bale for Ford v. Ferrari, which, yeah, quite a... Like, it seems p- people just really love Christian Bale. You know what I mean? Like, he always does great in these roles, but you suspect that there's just a general love for him that pushes him ahead in some situations. He's easily the best performance out of that entire movie. Oh, yeah, no question. Um, Leo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Uh, what I'm super happy about, Taron Egerton for Rocket Man. Ooh. Hell yeah. Yeah, and then Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Naturally. It, best actor is such a stacked position. It, it could honestly go either way on most of these performances. Yeah, I think, though, the people who are most likely to get in are going to be Adam Driver or Joaquin Phoenix to win, I think. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Joaquin Phoenix has got the populist vote with that kind of stuff. But Adam Driver has been the major contender against him in a lot of categories. So, I could see Leo surprising everybody and just taking it. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see with that one. Uh, and mean, then the last stranger oh, stuff has happened. Oh, definitely. But then the last one here is just the ensemble cast stuff, which is Bombshell, Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then Parasite, which is really cool. Great list. Yeah, no, it's a solid list from the SAGs. Like, I mean, not a lot of surprises, but then again, it's not very surprising who's going to make it in some of these categories. You know, oddly enough, I'd say if there was anyone that was a little bit less deserving, it would be uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, it really is just the two heavies that carry that whole movie. It's still a very strong ensemble performance. I just, you know, yeah, it's mostly DiCaprio and Pitt's show for the most. For yeah, the I, I just really can't think of anybody else who really stole the movie outside of the little girl. Um, that dude who played Bruce Lee was really good. He was really good. Yeah, no, I'd agree with him. With you on him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, he's only in one scene, but like that's definitely one of the most memorable parts, for better or for worse, for some people at least, of uh, between oh, him sure. and Brad Pitt. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, uh, moving on from here, we got a couple other things that have been going on with um, uh, you know award contenders. Let's see. Uh, so the first one here I wanted to talk about is the U.S. Scripter nominations. Now, this is not exactly the biggest contender stuff, but it's notable because I mean, one is USC from the USC libraries, but they make a big point of showing off the best in film and television scripts. And funny enough, the people who were the most dominating ones this year were Netflix movies. Because, let's see, the nominees for the, the for the finalists, at least, their nominations are... Uh, pff, commercials. Uh, <laughs> the commercials were nominated. No. Um, <laughs> Dark Waters, which I don't know anybody other than Chris and some of the other people who have actually seen and reviewed this movie. You I know, know they're pimping it at the draft house a lot. I really... It's one of those movies where it just kind of looks like Michael Clayton. Which, Michael Clayton's good. 
So, I like Michael Clayton a lot, but like it just reminds me of all those movies that came out after Michael Clayton that were just like, all right, here's a movie with very light action, but it's going to like sort of have a vaguely uh, thriller, political scandal sort of overbeat, like a uh, state of play, something like that, which I actually like state of play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but then um, also The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Little Women, and The Two Popes. But no marriage story, surprisingly, on that one. I'm actually i'm kind of sold on irishman getting best screenplay well i mean it's probably gonna be one of the lead contenders for adapted screenplay for sure yeah so. i mean in my heart it'd probably be jojo rabbit just out of this list but um, maybe yeah i mean jojo is a great script too i think but oh yeah i just think it's such a tough balance that movie has to strike oh yeah definitely um let's see so yeah for film adaptations there's that now, for the other ones, uh, just to give a note to television here, there's actually quite a few nominees that were pretty deserving. I mean, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge for the first episode of Fleabag Season 2, which is great. Um, let's see. Then uh, the Fosse Verdon got nominated for an episode. Uh, Killing Eve got nominated. Unbelievable got nominated, that Netflix uh, limited series, which I hear, you know, especially from Brad and Alan, who reviewed it on the site, it's great. Who's um, in that? Um, that's... Uh, Oh gosh, what's their names? Uh, from Hereditary, main actress. Oh, um, Tony. Oh, Collette. Tony Collette. That's what I thought. I thought. Yeah, Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver investigating uh, a serial rapist going on. So, uh, and then the yeah, last one, which good. is definitely super exciting, the episode "This Extraordinary Being" from Watchmen. Easily the best episode of the season. I would definitely say it's a tie between that one and episode five. I think were the strongest episodes of that whole show. So, uh, well, I guess yeah, I. I put both of them almost head-to-head. I think This Extraordinary Being really took me because of just how well done it was from a cinematography standpoint. And oh, yeah, that standpoint. whole stuff with uh, the way they shot the movie in black and white and in mostly long takes was really Oh, cool. yeah, it, it was incredible. Oh, yeah. So, it's really no, definitely hard to be truly it. surreal in black and white. Well, and that was definitely the most buzzed about episode because of the political topics behind it and the way it was made. It was definitely the one that got everyone's attention on the show. Oh, for sure. I personally wish the show ended a little stronger, but that's just me. (laughs) We'll have to talk about that at a later date. I thought it ended perfect. Eh. Or as close to perfect as it could have. Maybe. Um, But then just covering through a few other Guild nominations, because the last things I want to talk about here, there's a few other, like... Guild categories, which are always kind of fun, and then critic award stuff, and then the actual shortlist for a few of the categories this year, which I mentioned a bit about on my updated Oscar predictions, which you can go on the website right now and look at, people. It's really cool. Uh, But let's start off here with the uh, American Cinema Editors uh, categories, because this is usually the stuff that'll make it for the final cut in film editing kit prizes, and it's mostly what you expect for these ones. So for Best Drama, the editing nominees are Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, and Parasite. And then in comedy, it's Dolomite, The Farewell, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nice. I I think out of all those, the most deserving, though, is probably going to be The Irishman for me. You see, I would say Irishman, but I think Ford v. Ferrari was also one of the best edited movies this year. Like, Ford v. Ferrari is actually really well edited now that you oh, mentioned yeah. So it. both of them are probably the top ones. But I personally think that the drama nominees, all five of those, are going to be the final nominees at the Oscars this year. Probably. Yeah, because even I Joker, mean, I'm like, you know, it's actually a very well edited movie for whatever people say about it, you know? Yeah, I maybe The Farewell would cross in there or Jojo Rabbit out of the comedy, but... Outside of that, yeah, no, I think the uh, best 
edited feature films in drama are going to end up being probably the five that get it. Yeah, yeah. I would also even put some contention for Knives Out, which I also just saw recently. And Oh, how'd you like it? I really liked it a lot. Like, cause, you know, I was the one who was very vocal about I don't like Last Jedi, but thankfully you're also on that team too who is not as in love with that movie. I actually just watched it again today, and I will say I think it is better than all of the prequels. Fair enough. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a caveat. But I will say that Knives Out, I think, actually plays a lot better into Ryan Johnson's strengths. Cause oh, also for I admit, sure. I admit that I wasn't as crazy about Looper, personally. I'm just like, eh, it's good, not great. But I think he works better I with smaller Looper. focus. You know what I mean? Like something that's a little bit more contained, a little bit more indie. Oh, I agree. And how'd you like Daniel Craig in it? Oh, he's hysterical throughout it. Like him and Anadira Moss are both like dynamite in that movie. I so. feel like he's going to make the hump uh, that most actors can't to uh, get out of the James Bond role. And well, yeah, I mean, he's always going to be somewhat Bondian in most of his other roles, but I think this is a good follow-up type role. Like, if they make another movie with him, I would I would see it. Like, I would see another one with his character. From this oh, movie. yeah. I could... If he had one or two of these movies under his belt, I could easily see him breaking into, like, Harrison Ford level where you know him for more than one character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for that. Now, also here we got the Sound Editors Guilds, which, you know, again, this is, like, who cares? I care because it's an important job for sound editing and that such. So, um, and this one, it's a little harder to focus on because it's, I mean, they have a lot of specified categories. Because, like, dialogue and EDR is a separate category. Sound effects is a different category and whatnot. Um... But I think the general consensus is that Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 4B Ferrari, 1917, and Avengers are kind of the dominating ones in this category. I think it's got to either be Avengers Endgame or Ford v. Ferrari. Possibly. I mean, this one, it's hard to say because sound editing is... Okay, so for people who don't know, I guess sound editing and sound mixing do have an actual distinction. Because sound editing is a lot of, like, from what it seems like, most of the post-production stuff... Where sound mixing is a lot of the stuff that's actually recorded on stage or at, you know on scene kind of stuff, and in this case here for sound editing, I would say you know a lot of the post production work in these movies all is deserving. So, I mean, we'll we'll see more about this as we look into the uh, short list for categories and other stuff. But I mean, this is, this seems like a fine little selection of films, and it's it's mostly stuff that you kind of expect for these movies. Mm-hmm. But the one, but the one that's more predicting and more accurate to I think to what's actually going to make it for best sound mixing is the Cinema Audio Society nominations, which is going to be, well, the nominees here are Ford v Ferrari, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rocket Man, and The Irishman. I would say that's definitely likely to be three or four of the actual nominees are on that list. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'd agree with that. I'm, I'm not so sure about The Irishman for uh, audio. It's good sound. I mean, Scorsese films are always well mixed in terms of like u- utilizing like what's recorded on scene as well as the stuff that's all post production work. So yeah, true. I just felt like some scenes felt like ADR at times. Well, but I mean, ADR is not all bad. It's just it depends on the type of uh, how the scenes are worked, kind of thing. Because ADR is ca- counted in mixing. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's not my top pick, I would say, too. Which, I'm surprised, though, why 1917 isn't on that list. Because that seems like it'd be more of a contender in that category. Yeah, I can't wait to see that movie. I can't wait either. That looks so good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, But then, also, we got the Costume Designer Guild, which, I mean, did we talk about this last episode? I can't remember now. I can't remember. All these podcasts blur together for me. Are we talking about Runaways yet? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you know, if you're curious, it's mostly the people you kind of expect. Like, honestly, I think of all the nominees or the potential nominees, because there's like 15 nominees in film alone. But the one that might get most attention is the Downton Abbey movie, because that's great soundtrack. I mean, great, great costumes for that. So, yeah, I mean, that that's just almost to be expected before it even comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I see a lot of uh, Dolomite is my name up there. I think the, that should be nominated too. That's great costume to work for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. uh, and I think I would, maybe JoJo might get nominated because the sound, the costume work is all really good there too. And costume Rocket, work. Rocket is, Man, Rocket Man should get nominated. I uh, still need to see it. So good. Like I that know, one. I, legit, like that is the film where even with some of its faults here and there, this is the film that Bohemian Rhapsody should have been. Oh yeah, uh, that's all I hear about it, and it, it's a movie I really wanted to see on a big screen because it looked like it was worth paying the extra bucks to uh, see it up huge. But uh, I just it went out of theaters before I could. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely a like you know I got my toes tapping admittedly in that one. Like it's definitely one where you get really into the moment, and it just helps like seeing people actually sing in the movie really is a big difference, you know. <clears throat> oh, I bet I. I'm not in the minority on this, but fuck, I really did not like Bohemian Rhapsody one bit. I didn't dislike it, but I also say I was just very on it. It was just so weak. It's just, I don't know, like, it's a very well-produced movie in terms of, like, technical craft for, like, costumes and cinematography and acting and stuff. It's just so bland in a lot of ways. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So there's that. Um, Now, for the last few things here, we're going to talk about... Uh, some critic choice stuff because there's been a lot of critic groups putting out their winners and that such in different categories a lot of nominations too but one of the big ones i want to talk about which i'm kind of excited about are the ones that are getting the most wins in the critic groups and guess what film is actually winning for best pictures huh i wonder is Hmm. it a korean film it might be a film that has been almost unanimously agreed upon to be one of the very best movies no matter what country you're from is it the only movie that came out this year that weaponizes peaches? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. Respect! <laughs> yeah, it's Parasite. Parasite is currently, as of this, um, I got this critic group tracker on Awards Watch that I've been following here. And so far, of the critics that have put out their winners in various categories, it has won 12 prizes. Yeah, I, I think it is easily one of the best movies all year. I'm not as in love with it as everybody else just because there are more movies that like (laughs) no 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 it's not that i don't like it to any extent it's like it's not as high on my top five of the year as everybody else no (laughs) (laughs) i'm biased i think that that's my personal number one right now but i i mean that's fair enough that's fair enough um but i'm just super excited in fact it's outpacing the second place movie the irishman by eight because the irishman's only won four so far for critic groups I will say I did uh, I did like Parasite more than The Irishman, and yeah. I like The Irishman quite a bit. No, nope. and then right behind that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with four as well, uh, Marriage Story, and 1917 with two, and then the rest of it's been scattered between like Joker, Knives Out, Little Women, a few other films. <clears throat> it's a good list. Yeah, uh, best director is obviously Mong Joon Ho for Parasite as well, which 13 wins for that one, which is pretty cool. I think even if it doesn't win, uh, well, I mean, it's a lock for best foreign film. I think Bong Joon-ho will probably take home the gold for best director. 
I he deserves it. I, I hope so, you know. <laughs> uh, but then right behind him actually has been Sam Mendes for 1917, which just for the technical marvel of that alone, it's pretty impressive. Uh, but then right behind him to too, with, yeah, right behind him too is uh, Martin Scorsese for the Irishman as well, which does a good job. Not the best Scorsese job I've seen, but damn if that movie isn't fucking great. Oh, totally. Uh, now, best actor, surprisingly, the guy like you know everyone would say like, oh, Joaquin Phoenix is the best performance of the year, but the two people have been winning more than him <laughs> is one Adam Driver, who has currently won fifteen prizes, so. He might possibly win this year for Best Actor. Wow. <laughs> um, but then second place is Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems with six wins. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Everything I'm hearing coming out of Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler is just being praised to no end. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to try to catch it as soon as it comes out in the local theater here in Boise. So I can't wait to see that one. It's uh, but then right behind him Christmas are... For me, so. Oh, yeah. Right behind him, though, is Walking Phoenix with four wins, and then Antonio Banderas with three. Yeah, I heard a lot of great stuff about Antonio Banderas and Pain and Glory. It was playing for, like, a week or two, and I just did not catch it. Yeah, no, I missed out a chance to see it, because we were supposed to see it in that block screening I did when I saw JoJo, Parasite, and, um, oh, uh, The Lighthouse at the same time, but we just ran out of time on that one. Yeah, that's a solid block screening. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, we we made an p- effort to drive all the way out to Saint uh, no um to um, Nashville to be able to see those ones because it wasn't playing anywhere else around us other than that place. So I'm sure your best of the year changed all in that day. Uh, the best of the my best of the year has been changing the last few weeks even because I've been seeing a lot more films that can make my top ten. So oh, um, for best actress though, the leading winner in that one is Lupita Nyong'o for us. So yay! Oh hell yeah! <laughs> She's fantastic. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to nominate her for both characters, like they did with Nick Cage for adaptation. Uh, I mean, adaptation. technically, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> it, they don't nominate you for separate performances in the same film, usually. True, so. <laughs> true, true. I just, um, I wonder but, which one they'll show more clips of. <laughs> that'd be, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but then Renee Zellweger's been second place with six wins, and then Scarlett Johansson with four, and then everyone else has been scattered uh, beneath that. So, yeah. that's cool. Uh, supporting actor, I mean, again, no surprise, Brad Pitt's been dominating with 15 wins so far as well. I'm glad to see that uh, Song Kang-ho is getting as received as he is for uh, Parasite, along with Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse on these lists. Too. I'm really pushing for Willem Dafoe to get in, because honestly, you know, Jamie Foxx, I'm sure he's probably fine in uh, Just Mercy, but I, I hope that Willem Dafoe gets that fifth slot over him, because I'm pretty sure that... Uh, Pacino, Pesci, Pitt, and um, Tom Hanks are probably going to make it for the for the other four nominations. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, sorry, just a little. Confused. Yeah, my best my best bet if I were putting them together would probably be Willem Dafoe to pad that out. I mean, they've been making a big push for that one too because they've been hosting a bunch of screeners for uh, awards contenders, and they've been getting a bunch of celebrity guests to speak on behalf of these films. And uh, Lighthouse got quite a few with that one, where everyone's just like, "Dude, you got to see the Lighthouse; it's great." <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, um, and then supporting actress, the leading one so far has been Laura Dern. Not surprising as well for both her performances in Marriage Story, and I believe she's also in Little Women, but it's mostly for Marriage Story. So, gotcha. Yeah, but then um, Jennifer Lopez has been second for Men's. Doesn't shock me either. It seems like Laura Dern and Jennifer Lopez are, oddly enough, probably the best lock for Best Supporting Actress this year. 
Yeah, and the problem is, is that it's so open for who can make it in outside of them because uh, Florence Pugh has already won three for Little Women, which has been getting no buzz so far just because it's been released so late. Mm-hmm. But I think people are trying to make like a very last-minute push for her kind of thing because she is one of the breakout stars of this year. So, um, But then Divine Joy Randolph got nominated for Dilemma is My Name. Well, won a couple for you know the African-American Critics Group Award and one other one as well, but... I don't know, like, I feel like she was really good in that one when I saw it, but I feel like I've seen stronger performances outside of her. There are stronger performances even in that movie, so. Yeah, but then, like, Zhao Zuzen's won a couple for The Farewell, Kathy Bates Which won one. fantastic in. Oh, yeah, all, all these other ones that won are great. It's just, it's going to be hard to compete against each other kind of thing, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, I agree. For best screenplay, I mean, they've had a couple distinguishing where some people only put screenplay as a singular category and some for adapted and original. Um, but for adapted, the ones that have been leading the winnings for that one are both The Irishman and Little Women. Yeah, doesn't shock not- me. The Irishman is one of the most quotable movies all year, and Greta Gerwig <laughs> is just fantastic at writing dialogue. And people are really trying to push for Greta Gerwig to get a director nomination, which, maybe, we'll see. I mean, the problem is, again, I just haven't seen it. I don't doubt yeah. that she does a good job with it, but I just don't know anything about this movie, really. It's also just a sophomore uh, effort, which makes it very uh, dubious on whether or not I'm going to truly love it like I did Lady Bird or just come out sort of feeling like unbreakable after uh, The Sixth Sense. True. Fair or enough. Um, but then also, original screenplay, you got um, Marriage Story, which, uh, well, you know, that's been the leading one for that. But then Knives Out has actually won a couple, and then Parasite's won a bunch, so... Parasite should definitely lead this category as far as uh, screenplay. I, I wouldn't be unhappy such... if either Parasite or Marriage Story won this one. Like Those two definitely deserve it the most of any of them. I think Knives Out, if anything, deserves it more than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I agree. You know, I, I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had like a lot of great parts to it, but Knives Out, I think, is more focused, even though it's like just as long as <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Which, that was the thing that surprised me when I saw that movie. I'm like, wow, this is like two hours and 20 minutes? <laughs> but it actually, to its credit, it flew by. I never felt oh, it Oh, yeah. Time. It's so well-oiled. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, let's I see. wish, um, uh, I mean, in a less stacked year, but Don Johnson was probably my second favorite performance out of that movie. Oh, he's great. <laughs> he was really funny in that movie. And then most of the other, like, technical categories are what you expect. I mean, what? Is anyone surprised that 1917 is probably going to win the Oscar this year for cinematography? Because it's winning almost every single critic prize for cinematography this year. Yeah, I mean, it's Deacons. Yeah, and it's a technical marvel, apparently, with the way they did it as a simulated one-shot technique. So, I can't wait. Um, For original score, actually, 1917 is also leading, which is speaking well for it. Uh, Let's see. And then also... Original song, once again, only a couple people have been even voting for an original song, and I think it just proves that original song kind of sucks this year for most contenders. In fact, we'll get into that once we once I tell you what's on the short list for this year, too. Um, but yeah, that's most of the stuff with the critic groups. So, and, and Oh, yeah, and of course, pfft, I mean, no duh, Parasite is going to win international film, because it's won almost every single prize for that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, that's cool, that's cool. Uh, now, moving on from there, going to last a little bit. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about is that I tried to emphasize this uh, a few times in the previous podcast, but I figured I might just explain a little bit further. Now, what's interesting here is that you probably wonder, how do films get nominated for Best Picture? And 
The basic answer is that it has to determine on how many number one votes it gets. Now, for people who don't know, what they do is in the Oscar ballots is that they calculate the number of times. I mean, they, they mostly ask people to vote for Best Picture based on what, on like a numerical ranking. Like, what's your number one film or what's your number two film, that stuff. And based on how many number one ratings it gets, that is the uh, threshold for how it's going to get into qualifying for Best Picture. And um, let's see. So... Why does that feel like that doesn't work as a full? It's a it's convoluted. <laughs> it's very yeah, convoluted. It feels like that's one where I mean, I can think of a lot of movies that would be a, like in my top of the decade that were only my number two of the year. Yeah, and that's the thing where it's like so. And a lot of it too. I mean, you have to consider that the people who vote for Best Picture. That's about let's see. That's about. I mean, there's 9,000 people total in the Academy. He and, did the math. <laughs> yeah, right off the top of my head. I didn't look at anything at all during that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, for now for the producers specifically, which I believe are most of the ones who vote for Best Picture, that's about 500 people who are uh, eligible for that. And let's see. Uh, so let's see. Like, hmm. there, there, there's a lot of fuzzy math in the way of this. So, But basically to get a chance to get it, you have to get at least 9% of the ballots have to be number one picks for that film. That it seems like. That's so convoluted. It, it, it is. I mean, and again, this is just to highlight how much of a thing is, but you do know it's mostly based on how many of the times it gets voted as the number one film on each ballot. So if a lot of people put Parasite on number one, it's going to get in. It should. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> but that's also why there's that weird system for how many nominees get in, because we haven't had 10 nominees like they said that we possibly could since what 2010 i want to say it's for the padding out of the show i guess well because here's the thing is that the reason they did that was so well solely because of how the dark knight got snubbed when it was up for best yeah Picture. yeah and so they're like okay fine we need to accommodate for the growing list of movies being produced each year so they opened up to 10 nominees but then for some reason they felt like just having 10 straight nominees was not good enough so they did this complicated mathematical formula where it can be anywhere between five to ten nominees and you're just like can we just stick to a number? <laughs> it's so stupid. It really is. So, as much as I love the Oscars, this is also the reasons why I hate it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the last thing I want to talk about here is the actual shortlist for nominations. Now, they do this for certain categories because in some categories, they nominate so many movies just for the initial like batch of selections. So, unless you're a person who has absolutely zero time to do anything else in your life, you can't watch every single uh, you know film on the list. So, uh, in this last week alone, they put out nine short lists for nine categories, and we're going to go through and tell you which ones are on that short list. Just so, we, in case you say, like, well, why isn't this film in the contention? This is why. <laughs> um, so, uh, do you have the list out, do you have that page in front of you, Nathan? Of course I do. Well, why don't you tell the good people what's up for a documentary feature? Uh, for documentary feature, we have The Advocate, American Factory, The Apollo, Apollo 11, Aquarella, the Biggest Little Farm, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, Forsama, The Great Hack, Honeyland, Knock Down the House, Maiden, Midnight Family, and One Child Nation. See, That's a pretty just, solid list. I just auditioned for uh, announcing the Oscars someday. Maybe. <laughs> hey, man, if, uh, if anyone ever asked me, hey, do you want to announce the nominees for the Oscars? I'd be like, Yes. <laughs> what do you want to do now can I, can I do it now please <laughs> you'll be stuck with tim allen for the golden globes 
I will tolerate that. I will I will stand next to Tim Allen if it gets me on that stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now that list, which is about, I believe, 15 nominees that are eligible. I mean, well, 15 contenders for the nominations. That's out of 159 documentaries that were submitted this year. And I have not seen a single one of them. I need to watch more documentaries as a whole. I feel so bad because I haven't seen any of these either. I know um, Alan and I think Bradley reviewed Knocked Down the House for the website, which they seem to like overall. And I've seen trailers for like half of these documentaries. Um, I almost got a chance to see Apollo 11 on my flight, but my headphones broke. So I was just like, no. I'm I hear excited I, to see that one. Uh, yeah, that's I'm, the one that I feel like most people say is probably going to win this year. Just because yeah. of... Yeah, From all that I've heard, the... The restoration of some of the footage in that is fantastic. Probably on the same level of restoration as the um, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, that uh, Peter Jackson World War One documentary. Which I also hear is fantastic. And That one I have watched. seen, and it is legitimately amazing. Like, just, I mean, like, even itself, like, it's not like it's the greatest war documentary I've ever seen, but the technical craft in making this old footage look like modern footage is, it's jaw-dropping when you see it. God, yeah. I need to watch more documentaries as a well. whole. Yeah, because, I mean, I know documentaries is not my favorite category, but I have seen some very good documentaries over the years, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of these, you know, it's a very uh, intense uh, group of subject matter. You got, like, uh, what, One Child Nation is all about the one-child policy in China. <laughs> and that stuff. And then you got um, For Sama, which is all about Syrian refugee dramas. Uh, Honeyland, which is all about the issue of bee preservation it's Ooh, i may actually be super interested in honeyland oh yeah not only that um which we'll talk about in a little bit it's also the uh, international film contender because it's technically made in uh, northern macedonia so Ooh. yeah so well, anyways um, i look forward to seeing it lose against parasite <laughs> <laughs> if it gets in but um then we got documentary short subject which uh in this case we got 10 films because there were 69 movies qualified for this category which 69 haha <laughs> um but anyways get out of here you're gross <laughs> i just saw the photos for the new bill and ted movie and that's on my mind so <laughs> 69 oh, dude i can't wait i love that they got william sadler back they got almost everybody they could back for that movie literally even, even the guy who plays uh ted's dad in the movie i think is coming back for that one that's the first time i've looked at keanu and been like huh he looks pretty old in that yeah, but they actually did a good job making him look slightly younger. You know, it's like, okay, they shaved off the beard and everything else. And it's like, okay, he looks like just old Ted now. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if he just went through there looking like John Wick? <laughs> Ted, man, what have you been up to? Dude, I've become an international assassin. No way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so documentary short subject. We got After Maria, Fire and Parasite. Uh, Parasite. Paradise. Yeah, I see what's on your mind. <laughs> I, yes, uh, paradise. Sorry. Every uh, day. Ghosts of Sugarland. In the absence, learning to skateboard in a war zone. If you're a girl, which is usually my qualification for these short films, is that if you have a really cool name like that, you might win. <laughs> <laughs> um, Life overtakes me. The Nightcrawlers. St. Louis Superman. Stay close and walk, run, cha cha. Which that's a good list, and like three or four of those are Netflix short films. Funny enough. Netflix coming in hot this year. Dude, Netflix is a great place to get your films advertised for this stuff because, I mean, that's the thing where normally most people wouldn't see these movies otherwise, but if you get a good distributor like Netflix, you can buy it for the cheap and send it to millions of people through their subscribers. That's kind of a sweet deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Fire in Paradise and Ghosts of Sugarland specifically are um, Netflix uh, shorts in this case, so. 
I wonder if they'll, uh, I mean, a lot of their foreign acquisitions have been like, you know, solid films, but it's mainly been genre stuff. I wonder if they're going to try and, uh, you know, tackle more well-received international features like they did with Roma. Um, they might, it's just, it'll be hard. Well, in Roma's case specifically, they negotiated that deal with Quadron. Like that wasn't a thing they acquired. That was a thing he produced with them. I'm pretty sure, right? I, I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, I so that one is a case be where wrong on that case. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like that case is one where I think Netflix actually produced it with Guadon. But um, yeah, and in the, in the other case with their acquisitions, yeah, it's been like stuff from cons like uh, Atlantics. But it's possible. I mean, I think it's going to be the thing where they're going to try to produce a lot more in-house foreign contenders. But they're definitely open to getting foreign films. But the problem is also is competing against the established foreign film distributors like um, uh, what Focus Features and Magnet. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, Neon's getting into the game, too, because they acquired Parasite for distribution. So. Oh, yeah. I've yeah, noticed but... Neon's name on a lot more foreign films as of lately, for sure. Yeah, Neon is making a name for themselves. They're doing a pretty good job, actually. I mean, they also did Itania, um, and they produced quite a few other films. I love uh, the Spanish title to Itania. Yo, Tanya. <laughs> Yo, Tanya! <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of international feature, here's the shortlist for international feature this year. Good segue. <laughs> um, so there were 10 films that were selected for the shortlist, which is usually the case. But I believe somewhere like like 93 or 97 films, oh, sorry, 91 were eligible for this category. So, whew, that's Whoa. a lot. Yeah. So uh, why don't you read off the 10 films here? Uh, we got The Painted Bird from the Czech Republic. We got Truth and Justice from Estonia. We got... Les Miserables. Oh my gosh. Les Miserables. From France. Les Miserables. Not the uh, musical, but the social justice drama. <laughs> yeah, which confused me for a bit. I know, it confuses everybody. Why didn't they just pick a different name? I get that the point is like they're the miserables, but just. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Those Who Remained from Hungary. Honeyland from North Macedonia. Uh, Corpus Christi from Poland, Beanpole from Russia, Beanpole, Atlantics from Senegal, obviously Parasite from South Korea, and Pain and Glory from Spain. Now, Pain and Glory and Parasite are both going to get in. Like, oh absolutely. yeah, for sure. And I think Atlantics is going to get in. Which I mean, I, I on the review that I've said for this one, I wasn't in love with this movie like everyone else was, but it's got so much love behind it that I'm, I doubt it's not going to get in. I've heard nothing but great things about Les Miserables. Yeah, it's been getting mostly good reviews from the stuff I've heard. So it's very likely because of the subject matter, too, about, you know, political strife between the poorer and richer communities in France and the immigrants, especially uh, the immigrant, immigrant communities. It's definitely going to get in on, you know, a lot of the social commentary it has in it. Uh, now, the question, though, is that fifth slot could really be anybody's game in this situation. You can literally flip a coin on it. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean... The problem is that the films nominated are all such varying types because, you know, you got Honeyland, which is a documentary, The Painted Bird, which is a incredibly brutal World War II Holocaust drama, apparently, uh, and then all these other films I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes for that category for me. Yeah, and it's hard because, I mean, it's a big amount of, I mean, it's a, it's a large amount of work to get in on this list because you got, what, like 91 films. That's Each of those films was a separate country that submitted Two of which were disqualified for really stupid reasons. So, um, and then, you know, just a lot of stuff in here. It's like, 
people want to find ways to represent other countries than just the European countries, of course, because, you know, they dominate in so many other years. But, you, ha- you know, you have to compete against, like, people who are established directors or people who always get nominated in this kind of case. So you have to really stand out like uh, Atlantic's did for Senegal if you want a chance to get in. Yeah, it it sucks that they only limit it to uh, one film per country. Well, because that's the thing, too, is that um, for France, they actually had another film that was eligible, The Portrait of a Lady on Fire. But for some reason, they didn't pick it, even though it was the actually better-reviewed movie in comparison. Yeah, I, uh, I've i heard nothing but great things about that movie as well. Yeah, so it, I'm sure it was a tough call, but that one was a case where they felt that it was probably easier to market Les Mis Isn't it getting released on Criterion as it's, uh, like, DVD oh, release? Po- oh, Portrait? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah which wow. Criterion's making a big push to acquire foreign films for distribution, not just for, like, you know, later release, but for first release on D- on DVD and, and Blu-ray. Because I think also they're going to distribute Roma on Blu-ray. Yeah, no, they're definitely distributing Roma. Which, awesome. I want that, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a physical media slut as well. I, I understand the need. Nathan, you are my man. With everything I learned about you, you are my man <laughs> on this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, now also I can't wait the... to get Irishman. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, it's going to be great. I want Buster Scruggs on Blu-ray, dang it. <laughs> oh, fuck. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Mr. Socket. Hmm. Uh, also, we got the makeup and hairstyling categories, which, yeah, people do care enough to put 10 films as the contenders of this one. So it's Bombshell, Dolomite, Downton Abbey, Joker, Judy, Little Women, Maleficent 2, uh, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rocket Man. Which is- I definitely feel like Dolomite and Downton Abbey and Bombshell have it pretty much locked. You said, uh, maybe, but I think Joker and Rocketman are also eligible contenders in that list. You know, like, Joker yeah. obviously only has the one major thing, but it's one that people recognize, you know, for the makeup job. That's true. I just, uh, I don't know. I keep seeing Dolomite's name pop up more often. I, I think Bombshell's definitely a lock. Just looking Oh, at Bombshell is definitely one of the leading contenders in that category. Like, just oh, yeah. just how much they've made up all the people to look like their real-life counterparts is it's pretty insane. Impressive. Especially uh, John Lithgow's makeup. You're just like, holy jeez. Oh, I, I honestly, I'm more impressed by Charlie's Theron's. Oh, yeah. Were you, I didn't even recognize that was her when I first saw her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nah, but it's a, that's a solid little list of makeup contenders, you know? And makeup is a cool category because you can either get the extravagant crazy stuff like, say, Pan's Labyrinth. But then you get a lot of these, like, almost all these ones nominated are, like, very small-scale makeup jobs. Like, say, small-scale, not, like, the big, crazy, like, puppets or aliens or crazy weird kind of thing, you know? I think it was 28... Or, uh, not 2018. 2008, where Hellboy, The Golden Army, and The Reader were, like, nominated up against each other. Uh, the Reader wasn't, but Hellboy was up in that year. It, so. it was some sort of period drama that was up there where it's just like, wow, all right, well, that's two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, because I know it was uh, Dark Knight that was up against it that year, too, so. Oh, yeah. Which, again, it's like, yeah, you got Dark Knight, which is, you know, some decent makeup work kind of thing, nothing too extensive. And you got Hellboy with the crazy freaking work Guillermo del Toro does, you know. Like, oh, uh, ben- Benjamin Button won that year against that, it. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. That troll which, market scene was almost enough to get it, honestly. Which is funny, too, because a lot of that stuff is makeup, but even more of it is visual effects, which it also won that year. So <laughs> That movie has somehow slipped through the cracks of like movies that are talked about often. Well, in terms of being an actual movie that people watch, yeah, but in terms of technical work, you know, visual effects artists and that stuff still cite this as like a landmark film in terms of visual effect work for like... Oh, stealing. yeah, I agree. That That's what honestly almost started to 
start the trend of de-aging and aging up people. Well, because especially, like, yeah, to make him the young old man like they did in the beginning of the film is impressive. But even the stuff when they show Brad Pitt being, like, 13 later on in the film, you're just like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, when when you see, like, 18-year-old Brad Pitt, it works out so well. I, I was shocked. I was just like, wow, he looks like he just came straight out of Thumb on Louise in that in that version. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was really impressive. I might have to watch that movie again. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, the problem with Benjamin Button is that it is an investment because it's three and a half, I mean, three hours long. So Yeah, like, and it's essentially just Forrest Gump. It, it's written by the same person, too. So, yeah, it's just dark Forrest Gump. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which Forrest Gump originally was a very dark book, but not a dark movie. So... <laughs> And now, you know what? The movie is far better than the book. That, that that seems to be the case where I've heard from almost everybody of like you know movie versions that are better than their source material. And it's like he yep, crash lands from a spaceship with a monkey on an island full of cannibals. <laughs> wow! <laughs> now we got uh, the music categories, which. I mean, you know, just like I have for all the previous years, we are going to have a episode exclusively for the original score and song nominees this year as well. Because I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a fanatical guy when it comes to original scores and, and instrumental scores for movies and video games and TV. Ennio Morricone was my most listened to artist of the decade on Spotify. So I, I'm on the same. I'm on the same. My man again. again. <laughs> my man. And you. we're. We're still in the works of doing this, but we're going to possibly get Lorenzo back on. For people who don't know, possibly Nathan too, uh, Lorenzo was the guy who composed the music for the Screener Squad and Eye on the Prize and for the Gathering score as well. He uh, he nails our combination of, what, five different themes for this podcast? Oh, yeah. No, he's he's great. He's you know great, great dude. But, uh, yeah, we're going to try to get him back if he has the time to uh, talk about these because everyone really liked talking to him last year for the nominated scores because he's, you know, professional composer. So. Well, I hope I can be on that one. I hope so, too. But, anyways, why don't you start off here tell us the nominated scores for this one. Uh, we got Avengers Endgame, Bombshell, The Farewell, Ford v. Ferrari, Frozen 2, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, The King, Little Women, Marriage Story, Motherless Brooklyn, 1917, Pain and Glory, and the movie I'm seeing tonight, Star Wars, The Rise of the Skywalker, and Us. That's a pretty solid list for original scores, actually. Oh, I agree. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard to really pick out one that stands above all of them, mainly because I have not seen Marriage Story. Well, okay, so Marriage Story score is really good, and I think it's going to get nominated. Um, 1917's been winning a bunch of prizes, but I haven't heard a lick of the score yet, so I can't judge it, to be fair. Um, Joker, I think, actually will get in because, you know, one thing has a disadvantage is that it has a female composer behind it. And I'm not saying it's only because of that, but, you know. And that it did, has one of the most, I would argue, probably the most original score I've heard this year. Oh, well, I was going to say, it's also a great freaking score. Oh, it's a fantastic score. Like, I mean, and it's a very, like, oh, you know, dramatically heavy score for the movie. It's like, it's not being subtle, but it's really, really great music for being so expressive and minimalistic at the same time yeah it's very minimalistic but upsetting in a weird way oh yeah i mean just her use of like cellos and lower lower register instruments really works throughout the movie Mm -hmm. um now on the other hand a lot of these other movies vary in terms of like more pronounced scores and lower scores like us had a great score because gosh dang that opening credit song always gets to me every single time oh it's fantastic Oh, yeah. Um, Avengers Endgame, I think, also has a fantastic score. Which oh, yeah. I, I think, think it, that one is it, almost a lock. 
I think considering what we've gotten in the years previous with, say, like John Williams being nominated for pretty much all of his work on Star Wars. I you know, think and I think, I think John Williams won't get in this year for us. Uh, I don't think he will either. Like, honestly, the thing is, like, I think the backlash against Rise of Skywalker is so big, sorry, uh, that it probably won't make it in because it's just, I don't know. Even the last Jedi score I thought was not his best work. So I'm just like, I don't okay. think any of his uh, pre any of his sequel scores have uh, lived up to even the prequel scores. I still like the Force Awakens score quite a bit. Like I liked it more after re-listening to it. But I will say it's yeah the the prequels have more iconic themes in comparison. Oh yeah, I yeah. I think Avengers Endgame will definitely cancel that one out. If I hope so because I mean nominated. what it's been how many years since Alan Silvestri even got nominated in the previous years? So yeah, I think he, it, he he's overdue. And it's. It's not even like his previous two scores have been... Or actually, it would be previous one scores, because I know they changed the composer for Ultron. But, uh, well, but he, he wrote the original score for Avengers as well, and Avengers. Yeah, uh, and Infinity he did War. Infinity War, yep. He, yeah, he did both of those. So he wrote his he wrote the scores, theme. I feel like they evolve and get better from film to film as far as the Avengers movies go. Yeah, absolutely. Endgame uh, and, has some great riffs on the original music. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Ford v. Ferrari has a great minimalistic score throughout it, too, because it's um, Marco Beltrami, who does a lot of great work, like in the past especially, too. But, especially uh, with James Mangold. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a James Mangold film, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jojo Rabbit also has a really great score from Michael Giacino, so. Yeah, I, I didn't find that one to be as uh, noticeable, but it was still a good score. Oh, it's a good score. I wouldn't say, like, best of the year, but it's still, I can see why it's eligible. Kind of thing like oh, that. yeah. And I hear um, nothing but good things about Motherless Brooklyn's score, but... That's the weird thing. Like, that's the only... That and the cinematography being the only things I've heard, like, really raved about from Motherless Brooklyn, you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. curious if it's another movie where Bruce Willis sleepwalks through. I haven't heard anyone complain about him, so I hope not, I guess, but... Uh... I mean, he's kind of been on a roll this year. Like, he's it. not the worst thing about Glass, and his uh, his cameo in a certain animated sequel this year was the best performance I've seen out of him in decades. Oh, wait, wait, what are you cameoing? All right, spoiler alert, people. Uh, Lego Movie 2. Oh, I didn't know he cameoed in that. That's awesome. There's literally I, I didn't a scene, see the movie. Yeah, there's a scene where Elizabeth Banks' character is climbing through a vent and runs into Bruce Willis, who just shuffles aside and tries to defend the fact that he... He just likes to climb through vents, and he doesn't actually just live in the vent. <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. Um, the only score I'm actually kind of surprised made on here was The King, because, I mean, I, overall, I really didn't like that movie very much at all. I, I just thought The King's score was just so phoned in from that composer, because it's the same guy who did the music for Moonlight and Beale Street. Oh, really? Uh, oh, my gosh. I, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. You, oh, you it's um, Nicholas Bertel. Yeah, Yep. Yeah, he does great work. I just feel like that one, it was just so monotonous in that way. Where it's like, sometimes it can work to have such a minimalistic score, but it was so minimalistic that it didn't help enhance the fact that the film itself is just so boring and dry and unfocused kind of thing. So I'm just like, I don't get it. I mean, he, I think people just love Nicholas Bertel, so that's why he's on the list kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, he's been on a roll as of late. Oh, yeah. No, otherwise, I mean, even his uh, stuff in uh, Succession is really good, too. So. Oh, I didn't know he composed Succession. Everybody oh, he won the Emmy last that. year for uh, main title theme. So. Uh, that's 
I do not follow the Emmys. I should be on this podcast, but we covered it this on this podcast. You should listen to that episode. So <laughs> uh, I will. Maybe I Indeed. can finally find out who the winners are. Now here's something interesting. We got the original song category, which we've been talking about, and wow, I have not even heard of half of these songs. <laughs> Uh, so here we go. Why don't I just tell you guys what's nominated? So we got "Speechless" from Aladdin, which, all right, that was an all right song, you know. <laughs> I heard it was one of the better songs out of the movie, but I heard it comes out of nowhere. Well, that's the problem is that it's the only original song written for the movie because everything else is just the classic Aladdin soundtrack, you know. Uh, but yeah, it is one of those things where it's like we need to have a moment where Jasmine has a solo number, and they just. Put it in there, just because. How know. did you feel about that movie? I, I have heard. I haven't seen all of it yet, so I can't judge fairly. But even watching the clips of it, I'm just like, I can see where people said it's like, well, okay, <laughs> that was a that was a thing that happened. I watched one long clip of the "You Ain't Ever Had a Friend," and I was, I guess see, I, that was one of the better ones I saw from the clips too. Like, yeah, it, I was I was taken by how boldly it goes for it compared oh, to yeah. a lot of these other remakes. Absolutely. Uh, so then we got Letter to My Godfather from The Black Godfather. Never heard of it. Um, I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough. You know that uh, that one Christian movie that came out this year with uh, Luke Cage in it? Oh, yeah. I remember seeing the posters in, Al- in the like, aisles of uh, my uh, Kenosha theater I used to hit up. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've heard that of the Christian movies that have come out in the last few years, it's one of the more tolerable ones in comparison. So that's kind of cool. Hi, Bar. Uh, the Bronx from the Bronx, USA, which I've never heard of. <laughs> I've never heard of that one as well. Yeah. Uh, Into the Unknown from Frozen 2, which I I just don't have any desire to watch Frozen 2. I'm sure it's fine. I just, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely agree. I, uh, <laughs> I've just seen Frozen 1 so many times despite not liking it, just due to being near my 10 siblings. Yeah. Ugh. I don't need Frozen 2. <laughs> yeah, so maybe it's the best song for Frozen 2. I don't know. I haven't seen it, and I don't really care to. Um, maybe it's the best song I will ever hear, but I don't <laughs> I don't well, want to see I'm it. I'm sure if it gets nominated, I'll listen to it for our podcast. So, um, Stand Up from Harriet, which, you know, it seems like there's a trend of these very, like, screechy, preachy songs that get nominated. Like, for RBG, they had a big number like that. Um, uh, for, what was that one? Uh, Marshall, they had a big song like that too. There's always that one that's like the big, you know, one of those big showy number songs kind of thing. And this seems to be following that trend. So it's probably going to get nominated because of that. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, catchy song from the Lego Movie 2, which, do you remember this song? I do. Uh, yeah, it does not compare to anything in Lego Movie 1. And I don't even like everybody. Everything is awesome. Oh. <laughs> Are you um, are you a diehard? Everything is awesome. That song was in my on my playlist for like years. So you so. wake up like Emmett every morning. Uh, well, just uh, now, even before I saw the movie, I did. So I'm just like, good morning, world. <laughs> you know, I I, told, I I see you as an Emmett. I'm an Emmett. I think I, I think I'm an Emmett in real life. <laughs> um, then we got a double nomination for The Lion King with Never Too Late. I don't even remember what that song is. And then Spirit, that Beyonce song for the movie. Still have not seen it, but I have heard that those are extremely weak. Yep. Uh, I heard some a little bit from that Spirit song, and I'm just like, geez, just, it just sounds like a Beyonce song. 
Not even a bad one, just a Beyonce song, you know? <laughs> um, let's see, Daily Battles from Motherless Brooklyn. Again, the, the music and the cinematography are the two things people like in that movie. <laughs> um, here's one that I didn't know was actually an original song, A Glass of Soju from Parasite. Which I wish it were the Jessica Chicago song. <laughs> well, that one's not an original song, technically, so... <laughs> it's 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 actually a, a tune set to a classic South Korean theme kind of thing. And oh, they really? Just, well, that's the way they remember it because they use it. It's, a, it's an old school South Korean tune. That yeah, they no, use. that that absolutely makes sense. Yeah, so that way they can memorize the information. Tied it's to funny the song. that that actually. I mean, I was joking, but that wouldn't fit into it because of the uh, very strict standards for uh, original song. And score. oh yeah, but I didn't know there was an original song for this movie either. So I'm like, you know what? Just out of principle, I hope it gets nominated because freaking Parasite deserves everything. So <laughs> uh, I I feel that. Yeah, um, I'm gonna love me again from Rocket Man, which I think might actually get in because people love Elton John. You know, need to see it. Oh, yeah. It's a good song. You know, it was the one I think that played at the end credits where I'm like, yeah, it's an original piece. Elton John wrote it for the movie, and it's pretty, it's a perfectly fine Elton John song. Uh, High Above the Water from Tori, uh, Tony Morrison, The Pieces I Am. Cool. I don't, I've not seen it, so I yeah, can't judge I. it. Um, I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4, which is one of those things they try to nominate a couple songs that Randy Newman wrote for this movie, but I've not heard a single person talk about the music from Toy Story 4, so. I haven't heard a single person talk about Toy Story 4. It seems like everyone's consensus was like, it's good. Not the best. It's pretty good. You know? Yeah, I, I heard people like be like, man, this is so much better than Toy Story 3 for like one second, and then nobody else talked about it. <laughs> uh, and then the last one's from this movie called Wild Rose, a song called Glasgow. And, yep, never heard of that either. So there we go. <laughs> Uh, so then let's power through these last few ones. Uh, we've got animated short film, which I'm actually excited to, uh, to talk about because I've seen a few of these. So why don't you read through these ten, uh, uh, Nate? Oh, thanks for giving me the ones that I can easily butcher the names of. <laughs> My pleasure. Desera? <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go with the daughter. translation. Daughter. Yeah, Hair daughter. love. He can't live without Cosmos. Whores... Pisty, I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> Kitbull, memorable, mind my mind. I like that title. The physics yeah. of sorrow. Sister, Uncle Thomas, accounting for the days. Now, I say I've seen some of these, not all of them, obviously, because some of these I've never even heard of before. But uh, a couple of them, He Can't Live Without Cosmos, I believe is a sequel to another nominated film called We Can't Live Without Cosmos uh, that came out like three or so years ago so i'm excited to see that one because that one was pretty good too uh hair love is all about you know it's about hair and that stuff in the black communities which is pretty cool but the one i'm super excited about is kit bowl which is a pixar short film but not what you would expect because it's a 2d pixar kit uh film was it the one that came out with uh toy story 4 I believe so. The one with the kitten who was who befriends a, a pit bull and the whole thing is about trying to free the pit bull from a dog hey, fighting ring. Hey, don't spoil it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. <laughs> you have to see for yourself. But I, honestly, I saw that short film. It is really, really good. Like, it's beautifully drawn. It's got great storytelling through nonverbal communication for the most part. And it's just a really sweet little movie. And it gets surprisingly dark at points, too. You're just like, whoa, I didn't think that, that a Pixar film would go there. But they did. I think uh, Disney should start to see, uh, well, A, I'm sure they're going to feed data off of people who are on Disney Plus who watch the older TUD animated shorts. 
I think well, because I mean, honestly, people watch Disney stuff way more than anything else on Disney Plus, including Marvel and Star Wars films. So yeah, I I just read about that, and going through, I don't blame everybody. Like all their two D stuff looks fantastic the way it's cleaned out. I just watched the old mill on Disney Plus, which I have never seen in good quality, and it is fantastic. Awesome. No, I have to check that out. Oh, for um, sure. Then we, uh, yeah. Any other else on that one? Uh, nothing. Just Disney should do more 2D animation. Yeah. Now, it's funny because there were 92 films that qualified for the animated short category. So I'm sure that was, well, I say that's a lot to watch, but short films are usually pretty short. You know, they can only be about a few minutes to 10 minutes or so a piece. So it probably wasn't, it was probably a long day to be able to go through with all those nominees. It's probably about a week's worth. Well, definitely a week's worth for this next category because live action short films can vary quite a bit in time because it could be anywhere between like, a few minutes to like half an hour, maybe 40 minutes for a short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are apparently 191 short films submitted. Like, geez. <laughs> um, but the nine, no- well, no, no, 10 nominated films here are Brotherhood, The Christmas Gift, Little Hands, Miller and Son, Nefta Football Club, The Neighbor's Widow, A Window, Refugee, Soraya, A Sister, and Sometimes I Think About Dying. I'm sure almost all these are. These. Yeah, I'm, I haven't seen any of them, and I'm sure they're all incredibly depressing, like almost all live-action uh, short film nominees. I don't know. Sometimes I think about dying doesn't sound that depressing to me. No. It's a, it's Neither a, it's does secretly... Refugee. <laughs> they're all secretly, like, super peppy, happy films. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're um, all John Hughes films. <laughs> yeah, so I saw on IndieWire they were explaining the plots for a few of these, and it, it, there's quite a variety of categories like a couple christmas ones like you saw there uh a transgender issue one um some refugee stories like we say there it's it's a very diverse list of contenders with this list so that's that's cool we'll find out more because i mean if they listen to us here like last year we were able to get all the short films as screeners uh, that were all nominated so i I'd I'd hope to for that i always year. i always look forward to seeing the short films that are nominated but they hardly ever are all released to the public well, hey, I'll let you know if we get the screeners, and if you want to see them, you can be on that one. So I uh, definitely do. Oh, yeah. No, um, we actually... So I was supposed to review them last year with uh, Bradley and London, but I ran out of time to watch them all, so it pretty much was shouldered on them entirely to review all 15 of the short-nominated films from Documentary Live and Animated. And the one that was the hardest to get through was the live-action one, because all the ones last year were incredibly depressing and dark, apparently. Yeah, I... And plus, weren't a lot of them, like, around 40 minutes long? Yes, that was also a brutal one where apparently, like, I think two or three of them were half-hour ones. And they were just like, jeez, this was such an investment. (laughs) (laughs) I think the hardest one that they had to get through was that um, the one that was about the kids who were going through a prison, uh, a police interrogation. (laughs) And that one was like a, that was like a half-hour short film itself. So you're just like, jeez Louise. And... Then there was that one that was, like, about two kids, and one of them gets caught in quitsand and pretty much just dies, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> so, that's the kind of stuff you can look forward to in live-action short films. That sounds like a walk in the park. Absolutely. But the last one here that you get to end off on the high note here is the visual effect nominees. And I will. It's uh, quite a list, so why don't you read off the ten nominated films? All right. Uh, well, the front runner for Best Picture, Alita Battle Angel. <laughs> uh... Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, which I just saw like a whole segment on visual effects people uh, breaking down de-aged 
Oh, was one. that the um, the Collider Crew or yeah, crew? yeah, yeah? yeah I, Sam I watched Jackson crew all looks the, all flawless once you look at it. Then we have the I'm sorry guys, the actual front runner for Best Picture, Cats. <laughs> uh, I can't believe it's a nominee in this, like or a contender. You know, <laughs> I I hear it's it's a fever dream. I'm excited. I can't wait. Uh, also, definitely the best picture front runner on this. Gemini episode. Man, easily the best picture front runner. Uh, then you have uh, this indie movie called The Irishman. Oh, is uh, it good? I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I never reviewed that one. It's probably uh, not cinema, though. Yeah, it's not cinema. It's got too much special effects for it. Uh, the Lion King, which uh, I think is a remake of an old French film, uh, 1917. Star Wars, The Rise of the Skywalker, which is easily going to tie all the loose ends left in the franchise. Uh, and then Terminator oh, the, Dark Fate. Oh, the beloved Terminator sequel that just came out. Everyone loved that, right? <laughs> you know what? I heard that they do some de-aging on Edward Furlong, and it is not horrible. So maybe it okay. may secure a, a fifth spot on here. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing, too, is that uh, The Lion King, even though it's contending for visual effects, it's caused a bit of a stir because people have been kind of subversively putting it as an animated feature in certain things. Because in uh, the Golden Globes, it was nominated for Best Animated Film, even though that's not what they submitted it as for the Golden Globes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so weird because I guess technically it is an animated film, but... I mean, almost the entire film is live. I mean, it's CG except for like one shot. Yeah, one shot that they apparently did just to uh, see if people could tell the difference. (laughs) And, I mean, we can, kind of. (laughs) I still have not seen it. (laughs) Here's the thing, is that the effects are incredibly good in Lion King. Like, in terms of just technical craft for, like, rendering realistic animals. It's just the problem that when you're trying to have them emote in a movie, that it looks really fake. Yeah, it didn't didn't, uh, fail for me in Jungle Book, so I'm... I'm curious what really makes it fail in The Lion King, but I will uh, well, judge it on my own merit. The problem is, is that because I mean, in Jungle Book, you at least have a few human characters and a little anthropomorphizing to be able to express them. But The Lion King is so realistic with the animal effects is that when you want them to do big emotional sequences like, you know, uh, Mufasa's death or that kind of stuff, they just look like animals reacting to it, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I'm... I will see for myself. I, I'm just a Favreau fanboy. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, it's interesting because we've got three films that highlight de-aging technology here, especially. we got The Irishman, uh, Gemini Man, and Captain Marvel, which, I mean, of all of them, I would say Captain Marvel actually has the best de-aging work. Yeah, I was Irishman actually is... just about to agree with you on there, even though The Irishman yeah. is no slouch. I mean, The Irishman's probably going to get the nomination, but Captain Marvel of, I mean... I was not a huge fan of that movie overall, but the de-aging technology they did for Samuel Jackson especially was really impressive. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Although they still can't get over that one problem in either of those movies that even though you de-age an older actor does not mean they can also do stunt work like a younger actor. Just, Just get a stunt double and plaster their face on them. You can find one. I know you can. That's what they've done in so many other movies. Like, I mean, freaking uh, doing the Chris Evans thing with uh, Captain America. They just got a smaller actor to do it with Chris Evans' face plastered over. Yeah, you know? it works perfect. Oh, yeah. But that's the thing. That, that was that was definitely one of the biggest scenes that broke me in The Irishman is that that sequence where he's beating up that dude in the storefront. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very clearly a 70-year-old man with a young face. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, it, it broke me out of the movie, but the rest of the movie works really well. And what they did to Al Pacino is insane. Oh, no, Al Pacino is the best de-aging work in The Irishman. Like, you cannot believe, like, especially when you see, what was it, that trailer for Hunters, that Amazon show they're doing with him? Like, it's oh, yeah. night and day when you see the effect work they did between him there and his normal face in The uh, Hunters. Yeah, it, it's insane. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, even Gemini Man, for all we can say about how that movie really flopped in the box office, it's not the worst CG work they did on Will Smith, you know? Yeah, it, it didn't look bad from the trailer outside of, you know, the plot and the uh, directing. and. Well, and the problem is that some of the CG work for stuff like, say, that creepy-looking bicycle stunt they did where he, <laughs> Will Smith literally gets hit in the face with a motorcycle. It's like, yeah, that looked incredibly fake. But the actual de-aging work they did on him is pretty seamless throughout it, so... Uh, but, I mean, I think it's really going to be Avengers Endgame's want to lose unless someone suddenly decides the Lion King is uh, a worthwhile winner, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I'd agree with you. Yeah. Um, Star Wars might get in just out of a pity nomination and possibly 1917, which I didn't realize there was actually that much effect work in it, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I still haven't seen 1917. That's my only thing. I'm waiting to. Yeah, but you know what? I will say that if this one possibly gets in, I would, wouldn't would be too upset seeing Alita get nominated. Cause yeah, it's... I actually thought the special effects in Alita were really good, despite all the jokes about how offsetting it is. Well, because here's the thing is that in the first trailer they released for it, the effect work wasn't as good looking, but you can see a notable difference in the later trailers and then when the film finally released. Yeah, I actually found myself liking it quite a yeah. bit. No, I was, I was pretty impressed with the stuff I saw, so... It's hard to say what the final nominees are going to be. It's definitely not going to be Cats, just saying. No, it's <laughs> going to uh, be Cats. <laughs> if Cats gets nominated, I am going to be so... I don't know what I'm going to be. Now, here's one thing I prefer to get. You may have noticed that when we read off the uh, Best Original Song nominees, Cats is not eligible because, unfortunately, because they missed the deadline, they couldn't submit uh, the original song they wrote for that movie there. So, Cats will probably be shut out of the Oscars. Sorry, people. <laughs> Another Oscar snub. <laughs> but i mean you know people are back and forth on whether that new song is great or not because i mean some people i know do actually like it you know the uh, the taylor swift number they did for that one but otherwise it's like yeah it's not like the worst thing in the world if it doesn't get in i'm sure it's fantastic <laughs> i'm clearly talking to the wrong audience in that case <laughs> <laughs> but that's it that's all i gotta talk about and i know this is a little bit longer than expected but i really want to talk about the shortlist ones because it actually makes my job a little easier to know which ones actually are in are going to make the cut on those categories. Yeah, it allows you to actually watch things. Well, and to know, which is like, because I mean, I mean, especially the short and song categories, it's throwing a dartboard as to guessing who will make it onto the list. So these shortlists help to narrow down the picks for me. Yeah, I just think that we're really snubbing Cats and Alita out. I think they're <laughs> going to be the Dark Horses or the Trojan Horses. I will be very surprised if that's the case. Um, <laughs> but no, it's a it's a solid little uh, solid little group here of stuff we talked about. So thank you once again, Nathan, for being a part of this last minute. So yeah, no problem. Now I'm about to go see a Star War, and I'm going to uh, probably go to bed after this. But it'll be a good night either way. So all right, thank you all for listening, and tune in next time as we talk about more of the Oscar stuff. And hey, I mean. What, I think the nomination period is going to start in a matter of weeks, and eventually the Oscar nominations will be announced, I think, I want to say, like, second week of January. So, you know, it's coming very, very soon. It's so. coming on. Indeed. I have no song. <laughs> All right, well, see you, everybody. Buenas noches.